Over the course of 13 Christmas seasons at Fourth Baptist Church, I have preached no less than 40 different Christmas messages, according to my records, roughly three per year. And the challenge is that the Christmas story is only recorded in two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke. And in those two Gospels, it's only covered by a total of 39 verses, less than 900 words. If you take away the verses that tell us of the Magi, which we know were never at the manger in Bethlehem the night Jesus was born, but arrived later when Jesus was in a house, that verse count drops from 39 to only 28. So 40 different Christmas messages covering a fewer number of verses preached to the same congregation over 13 years. What more can I say about the birth of Jesus? By, by contrast, for those of you that are intrigued by these things, the Gospels use 711 verses to tell us of the crucifixion and the resurrection of, of Jesus. But what's a preacher to do when Christmas time comes around again? And here we are again, the Advent season, the Christmas season, the expectation that the preacher preaches the Christmas story again, the story that we know so well. A few, a few thoughts for us this morning. First, I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. And the Christmas story is the story of how God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We should never tire of telling of Jesus, for it will be our theme and glory to tell the old, old story. Second, a second thought, the Christmas story isn't only the details of that silent, holy night in the little town of Bethlehem. It's the bigger story of God's redemption for mankind. And as prophesied in the Old Testament scripture, by the Old Testament prophets, God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1, verse 14. He was named Jesus, for he would save his people from their sin, Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, verse 21, I believe. So then, a, a Christmas message is not bound by the 39 verses in the Gospels of Matthew and and Luke. And so this morning, I would like to preach a Christmas message in a creative way. And I would like to connect some dots in a topical way. That is, I would like to present this morning, just now, three different episodes in the life of John the Baptist that confront us with the question, what child is this? Or as John the Baptist would ask in Matthew 11, verse number three, is Jesus the one? Is Jesus the one? And there are no printed notes for you this morning. However, I will give you a simple outline there on the screen to help you follow. Is Jesus the one? A Christmas message from the question that John the Baptist asked. Let me pause for prayer. And then we'll study these three episodes from these three passages of Scripture this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the prophetic promise of his coming. We thank you, Lord, for the miracle of his birth, his life, his death and resurrection. 
God, may we never tire or weary of rehearsing this same old story, but may we celebrate it this month as we do each year, for it means the world to us. I ask God that you would give us insight and understanding by your spirit as we study the scriptures just now, for I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we begin in Luke chapter one. Go with me in your copy of the Holy Scriptures, the New Testament Gospel of Luke, chapter number one, Luke one. I'll begin reading in Luke one, verse number 39. Luke one, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Now, why did Mary leave home and go with haste into the, the hill country? It was because an angel had just appeared to her and informed her that she as a young virgin would bear a son. The Son of God, the promised Messiah. Look back to verse 26, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. We know from Matthew's gospel that he was to be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. That's a designation of deity. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's reserved for the Messiah. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The everlasting king. Why did Mary leave her home in haste and go to the hill country? Well, she had to find a place of refuge to process the things that the angel had just told her. She had to go somewhere to safely play out her pregnancy for there would be so many questions and accusations regarding her condition. Questions and accusations that she was not prepared to answer at the first. In fact, if the angel hadn't given her an explanation in verses 34 to 37, she would have never understood it herself. Look there at verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, Luke 1 verse 34, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also um, know that the, whole, the Holy One is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. So Mary is told then that she would be experiencing a miraculous conception just as her relative Elizabeth was experiencing a miraculous conception. Evidently God was doing something special, something impossible here in this case. So it's only logical that Mary would make haste and go to the hill country, verse 39, to Elizabeth's house. But let's continue now in verse number 40. Elizabeth, I'm sorry, Mary, with haste, goes into the hill country to Elizabeth's house, verse 40, entered the house of Zacharias and, and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. We know that babe to be John the Baptist. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said to Mary, blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, Elizabeth says, that the mother of my Lord, that Mary, the mother of my Lord, should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe, that's John the Baptist, leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, that's Mary, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. There is a phenomenon that's occurring here in these verses. Even before John the Baptist's birth, he rejoiced in Jesus. That's number one, celebration of Jesus before Jesus' birth. Celebration of Jesus before Jesus' birth. What happened in Elizabeth's womb? Did John the Baptist kick? Did John the Baptist turn? That's not unusual for an unborn baby, but in this case, the prenatal response of John the Baptist was not the involuntary movement of an unborn baby, but a definite point of celebration. Verse 44 says that John the Baptist, the prophet, that we would come to know as John the Baptist, leaped for joy. In verse 45, we are told that Mary believed all of these things that were occurring. And in verses 46 to 55, Mary sang her song of celebration, her Magnificat. Mary's Magnificat there in the following verses. Of course, in due time, both John the Baptist and Jesus were born. They were relatives per their relationship with, with Mary and Elizabeth, and we might suppose that John the Baptist and Jesus were childhood friends. We have no biblical record of this, but we can only assume that as the families were to visit on, on holidays or when traveling, they would cross paths from time to time, and their mothers would visit. John the Baptist and Jesus perhaps would, would have some relationship. But it does appear that over the course of their lives, John the Baptist did not know that Jesus was the one. In the same way that all of those who lived in Nazareth in the day did not know that Jesus was the one. Jesus was the son of Joseph the carpenter. In the same way, Jesus' earthly brothers and sisters did not know or believe that Jesus was the one, the Christ, the Messiah. John the Baptist did not spend his life keeping the secret of Jesus, you see. But if we are to fast forward 30 years, we come to another important episode in the intersection of of John the Baptist and Jesus, their lives together. So turn with me to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John. Connecting these dots, these episodes in the life of John the Baptist and Jesus, first, there was a celebration of Jesus before Jesus' birth, and now we come to John chapter 1, verse number 19. Now this is the testimony of John. This is John the Baptist, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse number 19. John the Baptist, not to be confused with the the Apostle John, the writer of this gospel. Now this is the testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Now this is a reference to a prophecy in Malachi chapter four, verse five, in which it is said that Elijah would return to herald the Messiah's coming. 
While John the Baptist was not Elijah, he certainly went before Jesus in the spirit and in the power of Elijah is what the angel told Zacharias in Luke 1 verse 17. Look at verse 21, John 1 verse 21. Are you the prophet? And John the Baptist answered, no, I'm not the prophet. That's a reference to a prophecy in Deuteronomy 18.15 in which it was said that a prophet like Moses would come. That prophet is none other than the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. So so John the Baptist denied that as well. I'm not Elijah, I'm not the Christ, the, the prophets. Verse 22, then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? So he said, John the Baptist answered and said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Of course, Isaiah is familiar to us this year as we've been studying the prophet Isaiah. It's chapter 40, verse number three. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees and they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ? You are not Elijah, you are not the prophet like Moses. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, at this point, it appears that John the Baptist is full of anticipation. He is ready and waiting for the revelation of the one, the Messiah, but he doesn't know who that one is just yet. Look at verse 29. John 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, ah, my relative, ah, my cousin, my childhood friend. No, he says, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in that moment, John the Baptist had more than a recognition of Jesus as his relative. John the Baptist had revelation of Jesus as his redeemer, as the one. And for the first time, John the Baptist understood Jesus to be the one. Look at verse number 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me in eternity past. I did not know him, verse 31. John the Baptist says, I did not know him. Well, of course you knew him, John. Your mother and Jesus' mother were relatives. You were born nearly the the same time, just months apart. John says, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, verse 33. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Not a recognition of Jesus as his relative, but a revelation of Jesus as his Redeemer, the Lamb of God. Of God, and I would offer you this confirmation of Jesus at Jesus' baptism. 
The second interaction between Jesus and John the Baptist is a confirmation of who Jesus is, the one. And the event of Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan River is then recorded for us in each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then of course here restated in in John. Can you imagine all that went through John's mind, John the Baptist's mind in this moment? After centuries of expectation, God's Messiah had come. Behold, after all of this time of rugged ministry, of preaching and and preparing the way for God's Messiah to come, John's own relative Jesus, born of Mary, is the one. And John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God twice at this point, in verse 29, John 1, verse 29, the Lamb of God, also I, th- I think in verse 36, if you look there, behold the Lamb of God, and the announcement of Jesus as the Lamb of God was a powerful description for, for all of Israel's history, God had made it clear that sin could only be forgiven, only be removed, only be atoned for by the blood sacrifice of a lamb. Now, if you turn the page, John 2, verse 13, according to John 2, 13, the Passover was at hand. What does that mean? It means this. There may have been the bleeding of sheep in the background as the lambs were being brought to Jerusalem to be sacrificed at this very same time of year where John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, and baptizes Jesus there in the Jordan. But where did those sacrificial lambs come from? They all came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the place where all the lambs were raised for the temple sacrifices at Passover in Jerusalem. That's why there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. While Jesus, the Lamb of God, was also born there in Bethlehem. Of course, we know that Jesus would go to Jerusalem. He would shed his blood and die as the Paschal Lamb. When? On Passover, the Passover Paschal Lamb, just as Isaiah the prophet foretold that Christ would be led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth, Isaiah 53, verse number seven. Connect the dots with me here. There was celebration of Jesus before Jesus' birth. The prenatal response of John the Baptist was one of leaping for joy at Jesus' presence. 30 years later now, there's confirmation of Jesus at Jesus' baptism as John the Baptist recognizes the revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was to come. And now there's one more episode. There's a third episode that we need to consider Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter number 11. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist is now in prison. He is a prisoner of the wicked king Herod. This is Herod Antipas, who is the son of Herod the Great, who killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem some 30 years earlier. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist is in prison. He's never to be released. In fact, by the time we get to Matthew 14, John the Baptist is beheaded by Herod Antipas. Perhaps you're familiar with that narrative. But in prison, John the Baptist had time to think. And I can imagine 
that he thought of his folks, his parents, Elizabeth and Zacharias. And I can imagine he thought about his relative Jesus, who he had declared to be the Lamb of God that day at the Jordan River. And then I, I can imagine that John began to think in this way. He thought, if Jesus, my relative, revealed now as my Redeemer, the Lamb of God, if he is the one, if he is the one, the, the Christ, the Messiah, why hadn't Jesus risen up against the Roman government and established his own kingdom? If Jesus had been born king of the Jews, why didn't he act like it? This is what John the Baptist is thinking in prison. Jesus was supposed to save the world. And the world is still not saved. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, if God is God, why doesn't God act like God? It's almost a blasphemous thought. But in fact, it's the agony of our own sensibilities. Why hasn't God done something to correct all the wrong in the world? Why hasn't he destroyed the wicked and saved us all already? And as John the Baptist waited in jail for his own demise, he began to question if Jesus is in fact the one. Look at Matthew 11, verse number 2. Matthew 11, verse 2, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist's disciples, and said to him, said to Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you the one or is there someone else? And I would call this questions about Jesus. Near John's beheading, in the 11th hour, as John is imprisoned, facing his own demise, questions about Jesus near John's beheading. Are you the one, or is there another? And folks, at this point, I, of course, concern myself with whether or not it is right or wrong to question. Is it wrong to doubt? Is it wrong to have a crisis of faith? One writer called doubts, the ants in the pants of faith. Have you ever had ants in the pants of your faith? And you would never admit it, but what if? What if Jesus is not the one? What if the Bible is wrong? What if all that I've believed for all of these years is simply because I, I grew up in the West and my, my folks were believers and I went to a Baptist church and what if it's not true? I don't think it's wrong to question or to doubt. I think it's the honest confession of every human heart to wrestle with these matters. However, the key is this. The key is where do we go with our questions? Where do you go? when you have that moment of, of doubt, that crisis of faith, that misgiving in your hearts. Where did John the Baptist go with his question? John the Baptist went to Jesus. Look at verse number four. Matthew 11, verse number four. Jesus answered and, and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Folks, does Matthew 11 verses four through six sound familiar to you? I hope it does. 
because it is tethered to, connected to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Isaiah 35 verses five and six. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Listen to Isaiah 61, verses one and two. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus is answering John the Baptist's doubts, his questions about Jesus with the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And Jesus is telling John the Baptist's disciples, you go back and you tell John, or you ask John, what have you heard? What have you seen? What is happening now in Jesus' ministry, public ministry on this earth? Jesus did not answer John's question with a yes or no answer. Neither did Jesus say, John, we've known each other for a long time, since our births, remember? John, you paved the way for me. John, you baptized me in the Jordan River. What more do you want from me? Jesus rather pointed John to the Baptist to the works that Jesus was doing in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. So what do we do with this? Matthew 11, verse number six. Matthew 11, verse six. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Folks, this is where we come full circle back to the Christmas story. Nobody objects to the Christmas story, to Jesus' birth at at Bethlehem. The Christmas story is, is so quaint and it's so romantic. Even a secular society celebrates it and artists depict it and, and actors dramatize it. That silent holy night, that little town of Bethlehem, the, the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths with, with, the, with the angels that come and, and then the magi who come and nobody is offended by the Christmas story. However, many refuse to believe the rest of the story. And they are offended, verse number six, because of Jesus. Is Jesus the one? He is the only one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's offensive, it's pretty exclusive. Jesus is the one. He suffered and died for our sin. He rose from the grave. And it is only Jesus, Jesus alone, who can save us from our sin. John the Baptist leapt for joy at the first introduction to Jesus in Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist then declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, baptizing Jesus in the Jordan as the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. But at the end of his life, near his death, facing his own demise, he doubted. He questioned, is Jesus the one? And Jesus answered, look at what I have done in fulfillment of prophecy. I conclude with this Illustration, William C. Dix was a successful insurance salesman 
in Glasgow, Scotland. He was born in 1837, but he was stricken with a sudden and serious illness in his late 20s. Confined to bed for an extended period of time, he, he suffered deep depression until he called out to God and, and met him in a new and a real way, he testifies. Out of his personal experience of suffering came many songs and hymns, including a beloved Christmas carol written in 1865 that asks a question that the awestruck shepherds must have asked and that asked the question that we are confronted with this morning. He wrote the the Christmas carol, What Child Is This? What child is this? who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. Is Jesus the one? But then the Christmas carol, the hymn, answers the question, this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Folks, is Jesus the one or do we look for another? Do we wait for another? I declare to you that the babe in the manger is the Christ of the cross. He is the one. We are to believe and receive him today and not be offended at him. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for the written revelation of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, born as a man to die as a lamb for our redemption. Lord, may we not romanticize the Christmas story and then reject the rest of the story. May we not be offended, put out by who Jesus is. He is the one. Lord, if there are some here this morning or under the sound of my voice, by way of live stream or recording. I pray that you in your good grace would draw them to yourself and open their eyes and open their heart and grant them the the faith to believe and to receive Jesus as the Lamb of God. Lord, at times we might be prone to, to wander, to question, perhaps, Lord, to doubt in a weak moment of of faith, I pray that we would run back to Jesus and be reminded of who he is and what he has done for us. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.